Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts online podcast, Disability And, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Jodie Elisa Bickerton talks to Baroness Grey Thompson and Mandy Colleran about disability and politics. This podcast contains some strong language. Welcome to another podcast of Disability And with Grey Eye and Disability Arts Online. Today we're in conversation with the Baroness Grey Thompson, who is a politician, a disability activist, a mother, and the winner of 11 gold Paralympic medals. And we're also with Mandy Colleran, who is a comic, writer, actress, and disability arts activist, and also a very proud scouser. Okay, Mandy and Tani, tell us something about yourself that we wouldn't know or the listeners wouldn't know. I am a bent soprano saxophone and I'm attempting to learn how to play it. Ooh. Um, I've got a tattoo on my foot. My husband's got a matching one, which was drawn as a morgue tag, which has the word expired and a date left blank. And whoever dies first, the other one's going to fill it in with a Sharpie pen. So it didn't sound as dark when, when we agreed to have a drum, but actually it's not great, is it? So, Amanda, are you starting a band or is this is this a solo career? Um, I'd like to think of it as a solo career, okay. but in reality it probably isn't. I just always loved the saxophone. And actually I just thought it was good exercise, mm. to be honest, to do breathing. Good for your lungs, Technique, yeah. yeah. Mm. And it's such a beautiful thing. I uh, A few years ago, a long time ago, about 20 years ago, I did this odd job for the BBC. I got this check out of the blue and I was happening to, happening to pass a music shop in Denmark Street and I just thought, if I don't buy one now, I'm never going to have one. And so I did. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so um, we are here to talk about activism, about disability, um, about joining bands, um, becoming empresses and taking over the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we can fairly say that the last eight years have been, uh, well, probably one of the, the, some of the most difficult um, in our lifetime. Would that be fair to say in terms of austerity, in terms of where we are? Are things as bad as, as they seem or is, is there hope? I think it's a really tough time at the minute. So um, for lots of levels, you know, the Welfare Reform Bill and, you know, Legal Aid and lots of stuff I work on in Parliament was fairly brutal. But then it's the implementation of that as well. And then, you know, it coincides with some really negative attitudes about disability and increase in hate crime. And, you know, what I get a lot of as an ex-athlete is, well, 2012 changed the world. And it's like, no, it didn't. 2012 was an amazing Olympics and Paralympics. But it's not there to sort out every other crisis. And, you know, what it did was it changed the lives of some Paralympians. But actually, the vast majority of disabled people still have a really difficult time. And um, so, yeah, that's the one thing. If ever I hear somebody saying 2012 changed the world, it's usually a non-disabled person. Mm. I do want to scream. Um, And it's like, yeah, remember what a good summer it was. But, you know, the reality about education and transport, it's, it's really hard. And... Really sadly, you know, Brexit hasn't helped any of that. And we're we're going to be doing that for another five years. So I I kind of do worry. I'm concerned about what what happens next for disabled people. Mm -hmm. 
And you're doing a lot of activism around uh, trains at the moment and access on trains, transport. Yeah, so, I mean, I sort of came to my activism in sort of a different way. You know, as an athlete, and, and I was really conscious when I was competing that there were lots of disability rights activists that thought I was a sellout because I was an athlete. And that's, that's fine, you know, it was good. And had lots of quite robust discussions about that and, you know, super crip and, you know, you're just trying to be non-disabled and all this sort of stuff. And But I was always really interested in wider disability rights issues. And so, you know, as soon as I finished competing, I got more involved. And um, I guess a lot of it comes from, I just think the world needs to have moved on. You know, we were promised accessible trains 20 years ago and it was all be patient, be patient, January the 1st, 2020, it'll all be fine. No, we're going to hit January the 1st and nothing will, well, bits will change, but we're not having step-free transport. So I, I think I just get stroppier as I get older. So, you know, I'm really lucky. I, I can do some stuff through Parliament and that way. But also, I think, you know, the, the platform being an athlete gave me, which was just to tell the reality for of, of what disabled people's lives are like. is really important. And I'm also really conscious. I get treated way better than most disabled people because people either know me as a, uh, a peer or as an ex-athlete, and people are kinder to me. And I went to a train station recently, and one of the members of staff went, oh, that's the one who tweets. It's like, hello, how are you? Lovely to meet you. Um, but, but I think that's really important. So it's important, I think, to say, you know, stuff happens to me, but also just get more people to understand what happens to lots and lots of people. And it's really hard. It's hard to fight it, deal with it. If you complain, you've got a chip on the shoulder. If you don't complain, you're not changing the world. And, you know, it's just, it's just tiring and, and it's exhausting, actually. And I think as I get older, I feel it physically and mentally because, you know, stuff is not as easy as it used to be. But also, I'm just, I'm just bored of being patient. I, mm. I just think look, we need to do something. Yeah. Mandy, you're nodding there. And as an activist and an influencer and being around sort of the disability movement for a long time. Yeah, I think I can you say something. Like, um, in some ways... You know, I think experience makes you not less tolerant, but what it just makes you slightly less patient, you know, because we were around when we were promised the changes. You know, they put men on the moon, men, of course, on the moon mm. in 1968, and it wasn't until about four years ago that we could actually have a wee on the train. You yeah. know, so I'm not quite sure how that happens, really, you know. There are reasons why they can put men on the moon, but they, they can't make a toilet accessible mm. on a train, or they won't, rather, they can, mm. but they won't. So, and I think you're right, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's very tricky, isn't it, you know, because when you get older, you, you, one of the things you do have is hindsight, and I think things come in cycles, you know, and I think, unfortunately, at the moment, we're in a down cycle again, you know, um, and it hasn't been helped, obviously, by the political scenario that we're in at the moment and certainly for the last 12 years and I think actually since kind of early 80s and the rise of what they call neoliberalism and um, you know aka Mrs Thatcher and Ronald Reagan's takes on the world where we've actually become or become about consumers and individuals rather than communities and societies mm. that you know that it's made it harder for everybody actually mm. to live because suddenly people are in competition with each other mm. Um, and you know you're treated everything is about the individual and so you know that that makes it harder for as I say people to work together and come together but I think despite that you know disability activism has remained and continues and in some ways you know there are there are aspects that have died off maybe 
And then you've also got increased activism around the austerity bill. So you've had the rise of things like dis disabled people against the cuts, Deepak, who was such a you know, fantastic and effective campaigning organisation. You've got the rise of Not Dead Yet UK, which mm. is lob lobbying quite effectively again against the kind of right, uh, the right to euthanasia and the assisted dying laws. Yeah. So maybe the activism, the areas in which activism takes place have changed. But I don't think it's it's gone away, mm. you know, and it, I think it behoves us as people maybe who are a little bit older and have seen things to actually support those things even more. I think that's really important because, you know, I, I hear some young people say, um, oh, well, it's, it's, it must be better than it used to be. And I think there's some things that are a bit better. And I think there's a whole pile of stuff that's, that's not and has not improved. And yeah. um, and I think, you know, a lot of the time I try to kind of be really positive about it because I just don't want to be this grumpy old cow all the time. <laughs> But then I'm getting to the point where it's like, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to be a bit of a grumpy old yeah. cow about it. Um, and things like, you know, euthanasia and trying to get across that stuff that disabled people will be affected. But I had someone say to me recently, well, you must have thought about killing yourself loads of times. Ah. It's like, sorry, I got to travel the world as an athlete. I'd sit in Parliament. I, you know, I'm... Happily married. You know, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah. And, and your view of me is that you think... That, that that's what I should do and, and stuff like so sometimes I get shocked by it and then you go okay no it's really good to have that kind of point to focus to say do you know what we we have to and one of the things that keeps me going in the stuff I do in parliament is that there's loads of activists and campaigners on the outside who are there to support and when it's hard you know someone will pick up the phone and just say keep going or just and that's that kind of community is really really important absolutely hmm. I think that's I mean I think that's key you know that both Tani and I do see ourselves, I think, as part of certainly I do as part of a community, a wider community of other disabled people. It's not the only community I belong to, but it's probably the most significant community in my mm, life yeah. at the moment. And you know, that's what sometimes annoys me about representations of disability, say in you know, T V. Because oh. if you have a disabled character on T V, you can paint your bottoms all of the only one. And it's so unrealistic. Because I don't know any disabled person that doesn't know at least one other disabled person. Yeah. And often, you know, or it has a member in their family or, you know, has a really strong group of friends and allies. Even if it's only people you see regularly at the same clinic with yeah. you or, you know, what you have in common is your impairments, you well, know. I, I was growing up and um, I was talking about this recently. So the only two wheelchair users I saw growing up were Sandy Richardson on Crossroads. <laughs> who I think they were going to kill off and everyone liked him. So um, it was like, oh, let's stick him in a wheelchair. And I remember he used to be sitting up at the top of a flight of stairs and you go, how did you get there? There's no lift. Like, <laughs> so it wasn't real and I knew he was an actor. And Ironside, and actually, thank goodness, people like have stopped calling me Ironside because that really annoyed me. <laughs> but um, So I didn't see people who looked like me growing up. Um, and so the first sort of disabled person I saw in the media that I was like wow was Chris Hallam doing the London Marathon who had dyed blonde hair and an atrocious taste in leopard print bodysuits <laughs> and um you know loved him to bits he was amazing and he didn't take nonsense from anybody Marvelous. but um you know and he did just tell people to get lost and worse if if they irritated him so you know I remember looking at that thinking oh wow there, there's this kind of route there's something that I can do but I think that's really hard because if if there is more representation of disability on TV, it's not real, is it? Or it's no. it's like the story is not always about impairment. Or you know, a lot of the time on TV, they try to do it's all about impairment. It's like actually most disabled people's lives aren't like that. I think that's the problem as well. Often because if there are characters 
once the story goes off their impairment, they never know what to do, quite what to do with them. Yeah, you know, why can't you be just a character? Or, yeah. I don't know, here we go, shows my appalling taste in TV. Um, Chris Tate on Emmerdale Farm, yeah. when he became a paraplegic, it was all, um, well, he deserves it because he was evil. And you're like, really? <laughs> um, I, I know, just feeling really... And yeah, don't even start me on inspiration porn on the coverage of sport because yeah. I think some of that's got worse. You know, there was a point when I started where it'd be like, oh, did you train? Yeah, yeah, quite a lot. And then it got better, and now it's all about you have to have a backstory, you have to be inspirational, and you have to have something traumatic or dramatic happen in your life, and that's not real for a lot of disabled people either. And you also have to be, you know, you have to be photo-friendly yeah. as well. You know, that's yeah. a big thing as well. I think that we don't like to talk about, but, you know, there are, I think, in the same way that there is colourism in, mm. in terms of race, representation, I think there also is impairmentism, you know, that some people... And some impairments are much more likely to be sort of put in front of a camera because of the way they look and how they present than other people, and that's an issue. But what I think is quite important, I mean, one thing that does worry me, I think, is, is you know, A, there are, there are so many more actors out there now, and the, the, I think, you know, the things are changing. Mm-hmm. You know, things are changing, and you've got people like Monty Redford's Row writing for TV now. You've got Jackie Haig and, and writers like him, um, uh, Matilda Rubini stage, you know. So the writers are starting to emerge, and there are a lot of actors, you know. We obviously we see Liz Carr, we've seen um, Matt's in the New Dark Materials, Matt Fraser, mm-hmm. uh, Lisa Hammond was on EastEnders for quite a while, you know. So those people are out there, and they're really important to me, you know. It's important for us yeah. as people, you know, who've been around a while to see them, but it's really important for young disabled people, and I think one of the you know, one of the things that we need to address slightly, and I'm not saying that um, inclusive education is a bad thing at all, but there was something about going to a special school and being surrounded by lots of people like you, because for many of us as disabled people, you don't necessarily grow up with anyone who looks like you. Many of us don't have disabled members in our family, and actually the only time you were with people who were like you was when you went to school. Now, I'm not saying those things should be exclusive, but my worry is that, you know, as social media and, and the kind of advertising and things become so strong that how you look and how you show yourself, you know, how you present to the world becomes so much more important. And I think if you're a disabled person in a class of, you know, 27 other non-disabled people and your impairment means that you look all you look slightly differently or you carry out your day-to-day life in a slightly different way. You know, where do you go to to get that solidarity? Where do you go to to get, you know, the sense that, that actually that's fine to look like you? That and, and that's one thing that does worry me. And that's why, you know, the whole thing about representation is so important because, you know, it, it comes back to the whole, you know, if you see it, you can be it, which sounds very trite. But actually, it's really, really important. But the special school system was really good for sport. Yeah. Because you, you had other people with a similar level of impairment that you could compete against and participate with. And that's changed it quite a lot. And I think, you know, I look at the pressure, especially young women, women are under, Absolutely. to look a certain way and have your hair straightened and your makeup on and your eyebrows done and, you know, your backside implants and, like, all this stuff. And it's... I, oh, this one, I'm sounding old again. But I kind of worry there's like an increased sexualization of, of young women 
and that you have to wear a short dress and get a boob job and you know there's all this stuff that which I didn't feel that kind of pressure growing up but the social media and the photoshopping and all that kind of stuff I think makes it quite hard I think if you're disabled it's sometimes how do you fit in with that this perfect view of this yes you know you know skimpy dress and high heels and you know implants everywhere and I, I just I just really struggle with that I think it's a really tough time for young women to be growing up. I think it's a tough Absolutely. time for young disabled people to be growing up yeah I do as well I mean I think one of the good things that is you know on on the the negative side social media has had is you know unfortunately has caused you know the whole spread of kind of image and body images mm. to go viral but also what's what's the other positive side of that though is to say people have capitalized on social media actually in terms of activism mm. about making connections because if you're stuck in your house in devon without access because you can't get help you can connect with the world you can engage in conversations on a national level mm. on twitter yeah if you want to i'm not saying everybody can or will do but there and, and you know organizations like tpa uh or, you know, discussions around austerity. I remember being on, you know, I've been on Twitter on and off for about 12 years now. And, you know, at the very beginning, the discussions around austerity were happening on Twitter by groups and individuals of disabled people who were actually talking to, you know, journalists and editors of newspapers through Twitter. And those conversations may never have happened as quickly when, when I was doing the welfare reform bill, there were groups of activists who were watching the debates in Parliament on Parliament Channel and then were tweeting me yeah. and saying, you know, ask the minister this, you know, here's a link to something else. Yes. And then <laughs> there was one night where a small group of them started playing Snog Mary Kill with members of the government front bench on Twitter <laughs> and included me in it. And it was like, ah, oh my God, no, no, which was really funny. Uh, yeah, it was totally inappropriate, but really funny. Um, and actually, that, there was that. No, we had one a couple of really, really late nights, and I tweeted, "Not have not had anything to eat." Does anyone know of a takeaway open? And I sort of gave the vague area where where I lived, and I had people saying, "Oh, you come past my house, come in for a cup of tea." Oh, or you know, you've been doing welfare reform. I can make you a sandwich. Um, someone offered to bring a pizza to Piers Entrance, and then I got back to my flat, and I lived in quite a big block at the time. And there was a sandwich outside my door. Oh. And you go, oh. That would have been a woman. That, that is so nice. You know, so, you know, I think it was a little message saying, you know, thank you for doing welfare. You know, yeah. like, oh. And then you kind of go, oh, well, I just feel really, you know, really positive. There's so many nice people out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there is, you know, to kind of pick up on what Tony said, Paul, you know, it's much, you know, as a, it is a, I think the reality is it's a very different experience being a disabled man than a disabled woman. But I think one of the good things about being a disabled woman is, is the solidarity. Mm. I think generally women, you know, I, I think because of... I'm not saying men don't have solidarity. I'm just saying that I think um, because of the way we are generally socialised, that women find it easier and have a different sense of what friendship and is with, with other women. And, um, and certainly, you know, I think without my disabled female friends, you know, my life would just be mm-hmm. not as grace at all without them and I think you know it's one and if you look at the disability movement you know you see there are kind of key individual men but actually when you look at who runs organisations mm-hmm. who organises campaigns who does you know the de- the leg work the wheel work the crutch work yeah the guide dog work it's women and it's, it's a, always disabled women I think that's really important right now because you know I think 
I've seen a change in the last year as well where, you know, women's voices are being shut down. Absolutely. And women aren't allowed to have an opinion and there's a lot of mansplaining going on, you know. And, you know, I get a little bit of on social media, but it's like, you know, I can't have an opinion on anything. Yeah. And it's like, actually, I can have an opinion on feminism and disability and, you know, I, I can. But that, that really worries me how, you know, stuff gets shut down really quickly. And that sort of feels like it's been dialed back a bit on the feminist movement that we've gone back to, you know, yeah, you should just be at home and not, not be out and not doing things. That that kind of worries me. But actually, sport gives you the resilience to deal with some of that too, which is good. What have been the moments that have lifted you when uh, Mandy when talking about, you know, um, things like the sandwich with Tanny and just giving that kind of lift? What have been the moments for you that have just kind of gone, actually, things are okay or, or we need more of that? The most joyous moment for me, and this is quite a while ago, and I'd like to see more of it just for more disabled people to experience it, was actually, I was at the uh, original telethon demo outside London Week, and, you know, it's an iconic moment. You know, everybody talks about it, and I was, and I just remember that moment, that feeling of, of pride, yeah, but actually just that feeling of strength of being part of something that was really significant, part of with with people who were like me, mm. you know, and people I knew, people I didn't know, knowing how important it was for each individual person to have been there, both politically and just for themselves as well. And there was such, it was such a joyous occasion. It really was. And I could never go past the building without thinking about, you know, poor Frank Bruno and the shock. <laughs> I can quite understand why <laughs> so many disabled people weren't happy. But yeah, no, just that, it's the solidarity, I think that's always the joy for me, you know, that feeling of being part of something larger than yourself, and also being on the right side of history, you know, yeah. or her story. Yes. Yeah, I, I think for me it was, um, well, there's kind of moments in sport which are pretty cool, but sport's quite selfish, um, you know, because, yeah, you, you might be doing it for the team, but you're really doing it for yourself, so, because um, you want to do it, and so I think last time that there was an assisted suicide bill that came to the Lords and it was really brutal and it was hard and you know you're, you're trying to make the right decisions and, and I remember just feeling this huge weight of um, you know we've got to you know stop it happening because you know we've got to be honest disabled people will be on the list you know that's you know it, it's just terrifying and um, loads of protests outside and it was just amazing, the, the group, a lot of disabled people turned up and some really clever and smart, Liz Carr did some really funny protesting, yes. you know, smart and clever and, you know, very well behaved. And I remember just getting to the end of the day and just being completely wiped out and exhausted and very emotional. And I went out and a couple of uh, campaigners had waited for me to come out. Good. And I remember just going, thank you, you know, for being there. I get quite emotional about it. And one of them bought me ice cream. Oh. And it was just like, do you know what? At that moment in time, it was just the nicest thing. We just sat and had an ice cream outside Parliament. And the other, you know, the other side who wanted to change the legislation, uh, they'd, um, I think one of their campaigns said was about there till the end or something. Yes. And actually they'd left. <laughs> and um, yeah, somebody borrowed one of their posters and it was like, yeah, but they weren't, were they? And anyway, <laughs> I mean, I know that's, you know, that's sort of a slight childish end to it, but... Um, 
Yeah, no, that that bit was just like thank thank you for waiting. Yeah, you know, knowing that those individuals wouldn't have a particularly easy time ever getting across London, getting out of London, or you know all that stuff. They've been there all day, and 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 they waited. That was, that was a really lovely moment. I think that thing around um, uh, the emotion and energy that it takes, and I think that's something we Absolutely. worry about for each other, don't we? We worry about each other in terms of the yeah. how much energy it takes to to fight. Um, how do we keep up the momentum? without draining ourselves i suppose it comes back to that solidarity as well but and allies how do we keep that momentum what is the it's really interesting isn't it i think ultimately it's about a balance between which is a phrase i hate but i don't think of any other words for it which is balance between self-care you know because we all know as human beings and as human beings with impairments you know one day you're a good day is a good day one next day is bad so, you know, that, you know, you need a level of self-care, I think. Um, and you, and sometimes even when you say self-care, what you actually need is, I mean, is you need the support around you mm. to be able to have that. Because for many disabled people, you know, they can't like, do self-care unassisted. Um, you know, something self-care is, is a hot meal, you know. Um, and it's a balance between that and, and kind of taking some responsibility for, for, for affecting change, I think, you know, and, and sharing, taking, or if it's not taking responsibility, sharing the load with other people, I think, you know, and just doing what you can, even if you're, you know, stuck in, you know, a house that you can't leave, but you're lobbying your local council mm. for a ramp into your local swimming pool, you know, that's, that's activism, that's no less significant mm. than being outside Downing Street or Westminster, you know, and on Channel 4, you know, being seen publicly, you know, because some of us are able to do that and others are not. And the the level of activism is no different and the significance of that activism. And so I think it behoves us, you know, to, to, to look out for each other as well as look out for ourselves. I think for me, you know, my resilience is up and down and you have good days and bad days and... You know, as I get older physically, I'm changing. You know, when I was yes. training, it's like I could do anything. And, you know, you kind of go, oh, OK, it's a bit harder to, to do a few things than it used to be. Um, and that's a bit of a pain in the neck. That's kind of slightly irritating. Um, but I think it's, it's finding friends and allies. So, you know, I've got a couple of people on social media that if I do an angry tweet about a train, they'll join in and ask me a question to give me a way to respond. And, talk. and you know, yeah. really simple stuff. But it lets me, you know, have a conversation rather than just a rant. And I've um, got a really good friend, Sue, who, when I first knew her, she said to me, how do I manage late nights in Lords?" And I said, oh, coffee and Haribo. And um, so it's not an advert, but she, she now buys me bags of, of sweets and sends them yeah. in. And do you know what? That just makes me smile. You know, I have to share them around because she sends quite a lot of sweets in. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, security officers get, get dibs on it as well. But um, it's things like that. It's little things that... And then trying to support other people um, who are who are going through different and challenging times. And what I just, I guess the bit I get quite a lot. Well, I don't know. Which I I feel guilty is I just get people expecting that I can just fix things and I can change it. Yeah. And it's why haven't I changed accessible transport? And why haven't I changed universal credit? And why haven't I stopped PIP? And and a lot yeah, of times. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you know I'm really good at dealing with it. And then other time, you know, last week I, had, I was being challenged. It's like. I can't fix everything. I'm trying. This yeah. is the best I can do. 
And sometimes I find that quite hard. Not, you know, just, just moments where it's like, okay, like, you know, and then you kind of come away feeling completely useless. Um, and then the next day I was totally fine again. But it's stuff like that I sometimes just find difficult to deal with. People just think, I can click my finger and it'll, it'll all be fine. I think one of the benefits of getting Ailton Actuary is I think, you know, you learn, I don't necessarily think you know what you want anymore, but you know what you don't want. And actually that's as useful. Mm. And I think also what you learn is, you know, to pick your battles. Because, you know, when we've got less energy and less time and resources to fight, we can't fight on all fronts. And who wants to? Do you know what I mean? Who wants to be angry all the time? Do you know what I mean? Nobody wants to live a life where they're constantly... People say to me, why aren't you angry? Why should that be? You'd be angry. Then, you know, people say sometimes you're in situations the world say to me, well, I thought you might have said something. And I'm like, well, you saw it. Why didn't you say something? You know, because it's always our responsibility. Mm. And you can't... Well, I mean, you can if you choose to, but I don't choose to live my life, you know. Mm. I like having a laugh. I like a bit of comedy in my life, do you know what I mean? And God knows, you know, it's an absurd situation living as a disabled person in a non-disabled world. So, you know, there's a lot of laughter to be had, frankly. And it's usually with your disabled mates as well. You know, and and that, again, that's a... You know, that's that's part of the joy uh, of the community that we belong to. You know, it's that we're able to laugh together. Uh, um, And I think, yeah, so... And I think they're the kind of things, I think, that we need to think about because, you know, a lot of us are getting older now and it's where the, where are the new and younger activists going to be coming from? Because, you know, they haven't had necessarily the base that we've had. And again, no one, I'm not advocating for special education, but maybe younger people have not necessarily had access to other disabled people over the years. And so, you know... They don't necessarily have a, a group of friends or a group of people they know they have certain things in common with. So, you know, and that, so how do we build up to set young disabled people's self-confidence, their self-images, you know, to um, to let them know, yeah, that it's okay, actually, A, to say no, or B, to demand things, actually. You know, there's no need to apologise for being a nuisance. Do you not a nuisance? Actually, you're just demanding the rights to what everybody else takes for granted, like being able to get on and off a train when you want to, be able to go on the toilets on that train if you need to, you know, that these are about rights. I I was having exactly that conversation with a friend last week who's younger than me and an activist, and we were saying, okay, where are the young people? And um, I think, so I didn't meet a lot of young young disabled people when I was young, Um, but my parents were kind of really strong activists and in terms of encouraging me to not be treated in a certain way and not take medical treatment I didn't want. And, to, you know, I remember getting checked out of a cinema when I was seven and my mum being fuming and she was like, right, the next time that happens, you go back and you say, I've never spontaneously combusted before because they'd said, yeah. oh, you're a fire risk. So my, my parents were really kind of... And, and they sort of dialled into activism, disability activism really quickly. So I, I got that support there. And then I met more disabled people who were activists. But, you know, I see some, not all, but see some young disabled people who are just a bit grateful. You know, and it's yeah. like, oh, it's okay, I can't do it. No, no, it's not okay. And maybe it's like they're, you know, they've got to do the stuff that's important to them. Absolutely. But one of the things I wanted to do around the 2012 Games was actually just, because being a Paralympian does protect you from a lot of stuff. And I kind of wanted to do some activism training 
with some young athletes because if they're talking about disability rights or they'll get asked about it is them knowing enough about it to be able to or not talk about it but to give them um some of the skills to know how to deal with some of that stuff and to talk you know to explain about social model and and it was one of those things that um kind of slightly fell by the wayside unfortunately um but that yeah if I could have done that that would have been great because I think there's there's a, a group of youngsters who yeah want to fit in and I get that but you can't forget that you're disabled that is part of your life and you can't just wish it all away so you know maybe, maybe they'll come through you know I shouldn't but but I'm kind of conscious when I meet younger disabled people I try and talk to them and encourage them and find what they're interested in because it might not be what I'm interested in but find help them find their voice because actually this is true for all young people young people need to find a voice absolutely um, Tanya, um, Grey Eye's got um, a, a whole group of young people. If ever you want to come in and do that activity training with them, um, I think that would be brilliant because that's something that, um, yeah, I, I'm always struggling with what is the advice I can give young people given what we're going through now. It's not the same advice you would give 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it is about rights and it's about yeah, not being polite about things and, and knowing what you can ask for. So I think that's a brilliant initiative. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll come in and have a chat. Well, very sadly, the word radicalise has taken on a whole different meaning, isn't it? Yes. Uh, Yes. Yeah, so you can't say it, but I kind of wanted to, you know... um, Politicise. That's a, yeah, way better, thank you. That's a way better word. But, you know, just get people to... Because sometimes I think, unless you've grown up, it's hard to know where to step into it and where to... um, Or even if it's okay to say it as well, and to think it. Yeah. Because I think that's, you know, I mean, even as as someone who's always been a disabled person... You know, my big appeal, I mean, I've always known I was a disabled person, never denied, but in terms of just being able to articulate it in particularly politicised terms, that didn't come for me till I started working in disability arts. You know, when suddenly I met all these disabled people who were talking and having conversations about things that I, don't, I kind of thought about. Mm. I'd, I'd have no access to conversations or... Or, you know, and it was so, it was only, you know, meeting people like Charles Vasey, Elspeth Morrison, oh, hearing people like yeah. Mike Oliver, Vic Finkelstein, mm. speaking, reading their writings, you know, and getting involved in disability arts and stuff that, that um, it gave me a whole community, but also what it gave me was access to the debate, the language, which is on, you know, and the debate is ongoing as it should be, mm. you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a living thing. Um, and I think that's what I'm worried that, that it gets lost for young disabled people. Where do they go to have those conversations? Where do they go together to have those conversations? Because, you know, if you're the, how do you raise it amongst a group of your friends if you're the only, you know, if you're the only blind person in the group that you've, there, there are issues for you? Mm. I remember the first time uh, I read about the social model and it was suddenly this light bulb moment. It was like, it's not me! It's yeah. everywhere. And, and it was kind of that, it, it just, I still remember it. I think my dad got it. And uh, yeah, it was just this this amazing moment where it just kind of made me realise. It kind of helped me realise where I fitted. Yes. And just that there were other people that thought the same as me and um, were didn't want to just kind of accept it. Because, you know, growing up, my parents were told, you know, like, you'll never get a job, I'll never get... Married, I'll never have a kid. I'll never, 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 never. And, you know, they just ignored it, which is cool. Um, but um, also, you know, I saw other 
you know, disabled people who didn't grow up in that kind of supportive family and, you know, did tolerate some, you know, not, not great treatment. Yes. But my parents, my mum was always one, like, you know, my mum always encouraged me to have a fight, which was great. Yeah. Usually with her standing two foot behind going, go on, <laughs> say something, go on. I'm not saying it for you, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I kind of miss that with my parents, but there you go. Is there, uh, and maybe we can whack this on the website um, when we put up the transcript, is there anywhere that you would um, uh, guide young people or, or any disabled people who aren't feeling like they have that community to go if there's any websites or, or maybe groups that you're associated with that you would recommend? I'd, I'd kind of try to follow as many disabled people on social media as I can. Yeah. And... Um, I'll, I'll give you a list, uh, you know, uh, but there's loads of people. And I think it's important to, um, for me, to learn from other people's experiences. Absolutely. Um, you know, because my experience as a wheelchair user is different from someone who's blind or visually impaired. And, and then some of the stuff we share is the same and some of it's not. Um, so, yeah, I, I try to do that. And um, I think for me that's been really useful, just getting to know other people's experiences. That's been really helpful for me. Oh, yeah, I think similarly to Tani, really, you know, in key organisations, like, you know, if people are interested or are experiencing, you know, the, the, the next of side posterity, then disabled people against the cults is a yeah. really key organisation. Sisters of Frida, which is a disabled yeah. women's collective, really important. And then you've got, you know, you've got a whole host of organisations around the arts, like Grey Eye, mm-hmm. you know, um, organise, you know, key organisations like... Um, and also, the, and also, if you're interested in the arts, you know, the National Disability Arts um, Archive Collection, NDACA, is really significant. Because I think that's what's really important as well, you know, for disabled people, is to know that there is a history, you know, that there are people out there who fought and, you know, who've got us to this position. And while, you know, things aren't perfect, we can get on the bus now. And that's not because of the generosity of bus companies yeah it's because of the activism you know of organizations like dan you know and, and people like barbara Lazicki and others who yeah. were you know chaining themselves to buses i always regret know. that i never chained myself to i've never yet chained myself to anything Have i did join them time Tanny. i did join the waspy women's campaign <laughs> for, uh, uh, the back end of the protest they had this week um and uh campaigning because of pension age women's pension ages are only like awful what's happening there and um, one of the older women said to me, oh, you'll be fitting in with our age group, won't you? You're not kind of 65. Like, yeah, I'm not there yet, but thank you very much. Anyway, no. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I quite fancy chaining myself to something. Let's do it. Yeah, and yeah. The, 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 it's kind of traditional suffragettes. Yeah. Tradition, really, isn't it? It's definitely a, a kind of feminist thing to do. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think if there's one thing as well, I would ask, you know, do the side of, of being disabled women is, I think... That the feminist movement needs to wake up to us as well, because I think you know, organisations, women's organisations know disabled women exist, and often we're invited to speak or whatever. But what I don't think is, I don't think they see us quite as proper women. Do you know we're not we're not really yeah. proper women. You know I'm, I'm not really sure what that is about, but I think you know, it's like um. And, and uh, you know, for me, I, I am a feminist. I've always identified as a feminist. And so, you know, I want to go, I go to a lot of, like, women-only discussions and events, and 
you know, for the amount of stuff that's discussed, I'm so often I get so hacked off because nothing around, you know, people talk about diversity all the time and yet disability diversity is never mentioned, it's never considered an issue. You, uh, if it is, it's uh, you know that there's a ramp and an accessible toilet, yeah. and that's supposed to. It still feels like disability, whichever way you look at it, is like the at the bottom. Do you know, whether you know you're talking about pay gap, because yes. we talk about sex pay gap and baby pay gap, but disability pay gap is not often discussed, or disabled people. Well, it always just feels like disabled people are um, the last. And I was saying, you know, it's like if you had a game of top trumps. Being a disabled woman, you wouldn't get many points, would you? No. Um, and actually, what, what's interesting in sport is there's very little difference in terms of how disabled men and women as athletes are treated, which is kind of, I don't know, that... So to me, that means that they're, they're looking at them as disabled people who are athletes rather than male and female. So, I mean, there's, there's probably a PhD study in this. But I'm the same. I, I, I kind of think of myself as a feminist, but I don't feel connected to some of the feminist groups in the same way because I sometimes feel I'm there to tick a box. Yes. And when we talk about diversity and inclusion and, and equality in sport, I went to an event recently, and it's like, I'm the only, dis- well, only visible disabled person there. Yes. And I was on stage, and it's like, did you seriously just stick me on stage because you couldn't find anyone else? Yep. And I said that, and he's like, ooh. And I'm like, oh, okay, that was probably a little bit direct. But, or um, because somebody knows you as well. Yeah. And, and we'll get her in. Yeah. And, or, you know, I get loads of, you know, media ringers saying, oh, can you do an interview on such and such? I was like, I know nothing about it. Yeah, but you're disabled. Well, I mean, I've got an opinion on everything, but that doesn't mean that that opinion should be public. And, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't know, but just because I'm disabled, it doesn't mean to say... Yeah. I'm the, and so, yeah, I, I just agree. I, I think it's finding our place, and, you know, again, for women at the minute. I think it's, it's some really tough times, and yeah. it's really important that disabled women are part of that discussion, that we're not just seen as... We're not othered, or we're just not at the bottom of a long list of other women. And I think, you know, we have a lot of a lot to bring around, you know, knowledge about activism, about supporting each other, that other groups can learn from, mm. actually. You know, yeah. so it's just fantastic, you know. The ramp and a vaguely accessible toilet that they've taken the brooms out of. Yeah. It's, it's not inclusion. No, all I the mock books. Yeah. Mock book, it's always a good one. Yeah. To wrap up, the best thing about being disabled, mock buckets aside, Mandy. <laughs> best thing about... Um, other disabled people, yeah, genuinely it is, you know, because it's, it's, it's not the only saving grace, but it is, you know, it's a, such a significant thing about how you, you know, being able to get on with your own life, knowing that there are other people trying to live their lives in a similar way that you can go to, that you can share perspectives with, you can have a laugh with, some other people that have got your back or your front, Mm. or whatever, you know. Um, Yeah, so that's what I would say. That's a really hard question. That might be the only thing that I've never actually answered. Um, Ring the bell. Ring the bell. (laughs) Change question. (laughs) Change question. (laughs) Yeah, we're bored, Josie. I want it on record that I've asked you a question that no one else has asked you. That, like, I mean, (laughs) that never have been asked that. But do you know what? There are loads of good things in terms of... um, you know, just friendship. Actually, me setting my own boundaries because there's lots of people who think I can't do stuff, and actually, I think I've kind of learned there's lots of stuff I can do, and I'm not afraid to try stuff, or I'm not afraid to try doing things that slightly scare me, because I've learned through living 
with an impairment that there's lots of things I can do. I mean, I'll it's be... tricky, isn't it? Because I actually, you know, I actually don't have a problem because I would never have lived the life I live. Exactly. I would never have had the life I have, you know, and the experience I've had if I wasn't a disabled person, I'd be including boring. where I'm living now. I'd, you be, know? I'd be boring solicitor if... <laughs> yeah, I'd, you know, and so... I'm disabled. Yeah, so, you know, it's just who we are and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not, yeah. you know, sometimes it hacks me off, but... That's not about me, it's about the way the world is. Yeah. You know, the way the world doesn't accommodate me or allow me to contribute in the way that I want to, yeah. or I can. And do you know what, it's not, not the worst thing in my life. No, exactly. Not even, you know, so yeah. it's like, you know, there's plenty of other things that I'd kind of put before being a wheelchair user. There's lots of things that are, are quite cool as well. So look up Mandy and Tanny on Twitter, offer them sweets and sandwiches. Um, (laughs) And thank you both for being here today. Visit greyeye.org and disabilityarts.online for details of productions, events, interviews, opinions, reviews and learning opportunities.